0: How many of you had a nap this afternoon? Okay, how many of you had coffee this afternoon? Okay, so most of you will stay awake. Does tea count? Sure, tea will count. So most of you will stay awake. I know you all uh, had a, uh, all of you involved in Vacation Bible School. Um, Thank you for your involvement in all of that. And others have said that you all have gotten very tired. And I'm sure if you had eight or nine hours with, uh, with children, you are absolutely tired, So, but uh, God did a wonderful thing, did he not? Yeah. I'll be in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9 this evening. So tonight... I realized after I prepared both of these messages that uh, I'm, I'm talking about some more disciples tonight, disciples of Jesus Christ. And uh, these disciples, we don't know their names. Uh, they're not the, the 12 or other ones that were close to Jesus. But we're going to be talking about some more disciples this evening. And the title of my message is The Cost of Following Jesus. The Cost of Following Jesus. And I'd like us to examine tonight, um, we need to understand the true cost of following Christ's plan for our life. Both, um, we often think of that as a long-term thing. As uh, for myself, I knew when I was 12 years old that God wanted me into full-time service. But I would submit to you that it's not just the long-term God has a a plan for our life. He has a plan for our life on the day-to-day Every interaction, every person we talk to, God is working in and through us. And uh, there is a cost to that in, as far as the world sees it. But uh, there, is, there is many benefits as well. As, as I mentioned this morning, I like to look at the context of things. As we get into it. And, I, and we're going to be focusing on verse 30, or 57 of Luke chapter 9 and following. But before we get into that, I'd like to look at a few verses preceding that. I'm going to start in verse 51. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem. This is speaking about Jesus Christ. And sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was uh, though as he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? Then he turned and rebuked them and said, We know not, the man, ye know not. What manner of spirit ye are of? For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Before we get any further into the the text that I'm actually going to focus on tonight, verse 51, Jesus is on a mission. He is steadfastly set to go to Jerusalem. This is one of several trips that he took to Jerusalem and, and like our Lord and Savior always did, he had a plan and purpose for everything that he did, every place that he went. And he sent the messengers in verse 52 to, some, to a certain village in Samaria. And the village in verse 53 did not receive him, as I, as I said, because he was headed to Jerusalem. Now, do you remember in John chapter 4, the woman at the well and some other passages in the scriptures where there is a huge... Um, conflict and animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans for many generations there had been that conflict between them and on several occasions Jesus ventured into Samaria uh, especially in John chapter 4 it says that he must needs go through Samaria he on purpose went there to meet the woman at the well and there you can read that whole account later but many people trusted the Lord as their savior because of it but the, the 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 feeling of the Samaritans did not change overnight, as far as Jesus was concerned. And this, the first village of the Samaritans, wanted nothing to do with Jesus. The second village did, and James and John, in their fiery tempers, say, "Well, Lord, let's let's call down fire from heaven." And of course, the Lord's response to them was, "No, that is not." that is not my will and i love what the lord said there in verse 56 the son of man is not come to destroy men's lives but to save them giving every opportunity possible to these samaritans to turn back to him to turn to him so on this backdrop of on this backdrop of of being rejected in a town going to a different town jesus heading toward jerusalem on a mission as he always was, we come to our text for this evening. And it, it, it begins in verse 57. It says this in verse 57, and it came to pass that as they went on the way, as they were traveling to the village, a certain man said unto him, "Lord, I will follow thee wherever. Where, uh, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest." What a noble thing. The man says, hey, I'm going to follow you, Lord. I want to obey you. We don't even know the the man's name. As I said, we don't know. But in verse 58, we see this. And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the son of man um, hath not where to lay his head. What do we learn about this man? Point number one. Here, I see this man as a materialistic disciple. Materialistic disciple. You might say, well, how in the world do you see that? He is keeping an eye on the things of the world. One type of disciple of Christ, one person that would say that they're going to follow the Lord, sometimes we can find ourselves still keeping an eye on the things of the world. And you might say to, to a missionary, for example, uh, they, they give up the things of, of America and they go to a foreign country. I have a brother-in-law and I have a, a whole family in Kenya, Africa, completely different world, completely different world. I see pictures of, of what they're involved in and the ministry that they have very different from here in the States. And you might say, well, of course, they're, they're giving up everything. They're giving up everything to, to go to a foreign, a foreign country. Surely they, they're not materialistic. And I, I don't know if he is or not. That's, not. that's not my purpose in saying that. I'm just expressing the difference of, of going to another country. But, you know, in America, you can have that same thing. A, a person who is determining the will of God for their life. Someone saying, I'm try, I want to serve you, Lord, But there's all this stuff of the world that I enjoy. You know, I really have my eye on that thing of the world. He says here, this man says, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. He clearly wanted to serve the Lord Jesus. He clearly wanted to spend more time with him. And of course, this was a noble goal. And as I said, Christians today should and do follow the Lord's will in their lives. Romans 12, 2 says this, Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed, right? By the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It should be our desire as Christians to seek God's will. But sometimes we can have a materialistic view of service to God. 1 Peter 4, 2 that he this is the saved individual no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men but to the will of God it's God's will that the christian should do God's will <laughs> and as i was as i was thinking about different examples in scripture my mind immediately went to the apostle paul i'm not going to take the time to go through all of them this evening but I believe every book that the Apostle Paul penned, he has in that first sentence or so, uh, for example, Colossians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. That phrase, by the will of God, I believe is in every one that he was the human penman of. And I find that interesting because he's constantly reminding the readers, hey, I am, I'm doing this not of my own desire. Not of my own plan, but this is God's will for my life. So, a man here in verse 57 saying, I'm going to do God's will is not a bad thing. God has a specific will for his children even today, not just that of the scriptures. He has a will for each one of us. And... In Matthew, we find out, there's a parallel passage of this in Matthew, we find out that this man is a scribe, a scribe, a a teacher of the law, someone who would copy the scriptures of the the Old Testament, and this scribe desires to be a follower of Christ, but he failed to fully understand God's will for him. He had a false view of what serving God looked like. In verse 58, as I already read, Jesus begins to explain this a little bit. He says, The animals have their homes, foxes have holes, and the, and the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And it's obvious from that passage that Jesus did not have a regular home to be in every night, that was not his ministry per se. And perhaps this disciple, this would-be disciple, this disciple that I believe was materialistic in his thinking, perhaps he saw the glamour of, of the ministry, of people being healed, of maybe some other aspect of the ministry, and did not comprehend the true cost of being involved in the service of the Lord. And it sounds very harsh to some extent what the Lord says here, but he was trying to make a point You need to give up the things of this world to be willing to serve me. At least be willing to give them up. If the Lord says, do this or do this, and that means you can no longer be involved in what is a good thing, but not God's will for your life, then you and I should be willing to give that up, should we not? To obey the will of God. I believe we should. Matthew 6.31 says this, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? In verse 32 it says, For your heavenly Father knoweth uh, that ye have need of all these things. He knows what we need. And I have not completely learned this by any means. I am sure I will continue to be tested in this many times. But I can say, That God does work if we will just trust Him and obey His will. If we know that He is leading us to do something, we have no business saying no. No business saying no. Following Jesus can be difficult and costly. It can demand enormous sacrifice. One man put it this way, Jesus wants no one to follow Him under any illusions with any false hopes, with any selfish or ill-conceived motives. There should be none of that involved in following Jesus. Someone else said, To follow Christ is to loosen your grip on the things that normally provide physical and emotional security. To follow Christ is to loosen your grip on things that normally provide physical or emotional security. And I believe for this man, it was a house. It was a place to stay every night. And God pointed it out, and Jesus pointed it out to him very clearly. So how does that apply to those that may be in full-time service or a a pastor or whatever it might be? Well, to be a pastor is... is, uh, it's not a get rich quick scheme. If I have that mentality, then I am out of the will of God. It's not a do nothing job. I have do nothing in quotes. It, it is not something that I should just sit back and, and uh, there's responsibility involved in this. You might say, well, that makes sense for a pastor. That makes sense for someone who has who their life's work is, is that of the ministry. Uh, but, but how does that apply to people who may not uh, be involved in, shall we say, full-time service? Mark 16, 15 on your back wall. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, And of course, there's an aspect of finances. Uh, Something was mentioned today about about missions and, 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 and all of that. That is wonderful. That is necessary. But do you know for you to be personally involved outside of the finances of that is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something in your time. You can do lots of things with your time, but you only have a certain number of seconds in every day. You can do lots of things with your time, but it's going to cost you time to be involved in obeying Christ in the very specific command of taking the gospel around the world. It may cost you in your security. There may be it could be physical security. You may be talking to people that you would consider to be dangerous. I know that's, that's like a novel concept. But you may be talking to people who you, 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 may, you may feel that you're in a, a, a situation that is less than ideal. But the Lord has said, I want you to talk to that person. I want you to, to share the gospel with that person. It's going to cost you in perhaps emotional security. You know, perhaps the best way to encourage someone in the things of the Lord is to share a personal situation with them. To open up yourself and share what the Lord is doing or has done in your life. Maybe your personal testimony, maybe some other aspect of your life. Uh, you can be emotionally vulnerable. That's, that, that can be a cost involved in the ministry for all of us. And then, of course, I also mentioned may cost us financially. Are you holding too tightly to the things of this world that you're missing the opportunities before you? Are you holding too tightly to those things that you're missing the opportunities to be in God's will, whatever that might be, whether the big things or the day-to-day things? So this disciple, I don't believe he understood what it meant to serve God whatever aspect of serving he was not willing to give up, Jesus clearly stopped him and said, I want you to think about this. The foxes have homes, the birds have their nests, but I don't have a place that I sleep every night. Secondly, we see the procrastinating disciple. Look in verse 59. And he said unto another, follow me but he said lord suffer me first to go and bury my father and jesus said unto him let the dead bury their dead but go thou and preach the kingdom of god so jesus is walking along here and he sees another disciple another disciple perhaps walking beside him as they're going to this other town in samaria and he says to him i want you to follow me i want you to 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 serve me in a more uh, I have a, a specific will for you to do. I want you to do this thing. I want you to follow me. And this disciple says, Okay, but Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And I think there's a lot here in this. Of course, the, 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 the word suffer just means to allow. Lord, allow me f- uh, to first bury my father. And I think it's doubtful here that the, that the father is already passed away. I think it's very likely, in if he had already passed away, that this man wouldn't even be with Jesus. The Jewish, the Jewish funeral uh, things proceeded pretty quickly, and so as I consider that, um, I also would mention that. Uh, burying one's parents was considered a a sacred duty in Jewish culture. You can understand the man's desire to go and and take care of this if if it was a a responsibility and even failure to do so would mean that he is uh, not a responsible or godly son in the in the Jewish culture. So it is a legitimate well let me take care of this thing before I can before I can go and, and serve you Lord. It's It's even possible that he was waiting for an inheritance to be passed to him. I don't know. Maybe he was waiting for his his dad to pass off the scene to have the inheritance, then he could then he would have all the money he needs to serve God, right? I don't know. But that I think that is a possibility. Basically, what it boils down to is he says, I'm not quite ready to serve you, Lord, is what he's saying here. Or I'm just going to wait a little longer. Let my life settle down. Let everything finish out, finish up to where it needs to be. And then, Lord, I will come and serve you. That's the idea I get from this passage. Jesus' response, of course, sounds very harsh. Let the dead bury their dead. Wow. I believe it's talking about here about the um, spiritually dead burying the physically dead. Those that do not know the Lord as their Savior to bury the physically dead. But look at that word that I just said in contrast here. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. He's saying, let, Jesus is saying to this disciple, this procrastinating disciple, let them take care of this problem of, of, that you see with your father, but I want you to go. I want you to go and preach. And I think it's very interesting, these words here, because this word is in complete contrast. Uh, the, the word but there, but, don't do this, but do this. There's an action involved, and that is go. Okay? His idea, the, the, the disciples' idea was, no, I'm going to wait here. I'm going to take care of these things. Jesus said, no, don't do that. I have a plan for you. I have an action I want you to do. Go. What's it say next? Go thou. That's personal. Not your brother, not your uncle, not anyone else. You Go. And then what's it say? Preach. Hopefully I'm not going to get too deep here, but I enjoy looking at the Greek words. I enjoy looking at what they mean. And I know we've got some, some teachers here today, so you can correct me afterward with my, my bad grammar perhaps. But um, preach is an action. Uh, let me go back to the word go. Go is an aorist verb and as I understand it's a point in time it's happening right then so there's an action happening God says I want you to go you're starting going and you're going to continue on going you're going to continue on going and then preach something that happens from that point and continues happening happening now and it's active so it's ongoing you go here and preach you go here and preach you go here and preach did I lose everyone Okay, <laughs> it was interesting to me as I studied this. But this is, that's in complete contrast to what, what this man thought he was going to do. He was going to go sit over here and wait for things to, to finish up with his father. But God said, no, I want you to go right now, and I want you to preach and preach and preach. What was he going to preach? The kingdom of God. The point is that proclaiming the kingdom of God is so important that it cannot wait. The point is that we cannot wait for what we think is supposed to be the perfect time. If God's saying go, we need to obey him. If God's saying, this is my will for you, and he makes it clear, you need to say yes to him. I need to say yes to him. A disciple must make a radical commitment. A disciple of Christ must make a radical commitment. You know, some people say, the youngest in here perhaps, might say, well, I'm too young. I'm too young. I trusted the Lord at the age of five. I knew then that I was a sinner and before a holy God and that I personally needed to trust him. And by the, by the time I got to 12 years old, I knew God had something for me to do in a full-time capacity that I was seeking his will. It's never too young to say yes to God. Teenagers might say, I have most of my life left. Well, maybe later. Maybe later. I am, I am just starting to drive. I don't need... To worry about what God says right now. A college student might say, well, I'm studying for my career that, that I've always enjoyed. You know, maybe, maybe when I get out of college, maybe when I get to, uh, you know, get in the workforce for a few years, then I'll do God's will. The newly married might say, well, we're newly married, you know, just, just maybe a few years, then we'll, then, we'll, then we'll do what God wants. And Middle-aged might say, well, my kids, are, my kids are in high school now and I don't want to change my life right now. You know, God's telling me to do this thing, but, uh, you know, I don't want to change my life right now. And I could go on and on. The procrastinating disciple. Thirdly and lastly, where I would like to look at the backward-looking disciple. The backward-looking disciple. Verse 61 the third disciple here that comes up to the Lord and says, um, and another disciple, verse sixty-one. Another disciple also said, "Lord, I will follow thee. Whether I will follow follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at my house. Or at my house, first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house." And Jesus said unto him. No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Once again, it sounds very harsh, does it not? It sounds very harsh that that, that Jesus said to this man that he couldn't even go say goodbye to his family. But I see this disciple as a backward-looking disciple. I will also note here that this disciple volunteered to go. Unlike the previous one, the procrastinating one, where, jo- where Jesus said, hey, why don't you follow me? This one volunteered like the first one. He said, I'll do it, I'll go, but let me just go say goodbye to people first. Let me go, let me go take care of, uh, of saying goodbye to those people at home. It certainly sounds reasonable for him to say that. If you know your, your Bible, you'll, you'll think back to 1 Kings in chapter 19. Elisha and Elijah had a very similar interaction like this. Elisha allowed, excuse me, Elijah allowed Elisha to go and tell his parents goodbye. So it can't be a wrong thing to go say goodbye to your parents before you, you leave on a missions trip or whatever it might be. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is, there is there's, a, there's a difference here in the sense of there's an urgency that Jesus had for this message. What did he say to the, to, the previous, uh, to the previous man that he was to go and preach the kingdom of God? Well, he says it here again. He says it here again. I believe the urgency of the message of Jesus and the kingdom of God, the importance of getting this message out was so compelling that it overshadowed even family relationships here in this case. Wow. Luke 14, verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And I've always understood that to mean hate in relation to their relationship with Jesus Christ. If you compared the two. Your relationship with your father, your mother, and all those things, and your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with those people should appear as if you hated them because you loved Jesus so much. Pl- plowing a field in biblical times was nothing like we do, we do now. I don't know if there's any farmers here But I have a limited amount of experience with farming, and one thing I do know now is it is so easy to, can be so easy to plow a field, especially if you have all the modern technologies. You can get in your tractor and set your GPS and have your whole field plotted, and you just turn it on, and basically it drives itself. You almost could get out and let it do it itself. Now, I'm not recommending that to you farmers or anything. Maybe you can. um, But... That was not the way it was then. Of course, right? It was a very intense, it took a very intense focus and physical strength to plow a field. You had to start the plowing row and keep focused on the goal. The goal in this, in the, for plowing at the other end of the field. To look back or lose focus would cause your furrow to be crooked and off track. It would cause it to be, to, to, to be wrong, and your field would get all messed up very quickly. And that was a common understanding in that day. To follow Jesus is a lifelong and all-consuming, all not a casual joining of a, of a movement for a little while. Did you get that? Following Christ is lifelong and all-consuming. Not a casual thing, not something we just take lightly and turn around and go do something else. If you're that kind of backward-looking disciple, the Lord says, that's that's wrong, I can't use you. Christians cannot follow Christ by looking back. They must focus on serving Him as we move forward at His command. Lot's wife looked back. Why? Why? Let me just read the verse. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt, as you well know. Why did she do that? Her heart was back in Sodom. Her heart was back there. Her body was moving in the right direction. Her husband may have been dragging her, but her heart was back there. Even the nation of Israel had the same mentality. If you remember in Exodus 16, 3, the children of Israel said unto, unto them, Would to God we had died at, uh, at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat to the full, for we have, for ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Of course, they're complaining, but they're looking back at Egypt And saying, it was amazing back there. We want to be back there. When God was leading them forward. They both longed for their old life. The backward looking disciple. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know not that your labor, excuse me, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast and unmovable. It's not vain what you're doing. Keep going forward. Don't look back. Don't be the backward looking disciple. So in conclusion tonight, is there anything in your life that would make you a materialistic disciple? Is there something of this world that if the Lord said, I want you to give that up to serve me, that you would have trouble holding on to? If that's the case, that's something that you and the Lord need to deal with. Maybe you're a procrastinating disciple. But first, let me do this before I can serve God, before I can do what I know His will is for my life. And that could be as simple as going and talking to the person at the other side of the RV park and the Lord says, you should be going and doing that. And you, me, and my flesh say, I, I'm busy right now. Or, I really don't want to take the time to do that. Or, I... I don't like talking to people. <laughs> there's, there's an aspect of me that just does not love that. The procrastinating disciple. And then maybe the backward-looking disciple looking back at his old life as he's moving should be moving forward for Christ. So now what? Colossians 3.23, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Do it with a godly heart, with a heart that is dedicated to God. Ephesians 6, six. not with eye service as men pleasers, not wanting man's applause or man to see us, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. I especially like that last phrase. If we're going to do God's will, it's going to be with a heart of humility and submission and a willingness to say yes to God in whatever he wants us to do. Have you counted the cost of following Christ? Are you a materialistic disciple or a procrastinating disciple or even a backward-looking disciple? I can find aspects of my life that I fit into each one of these categories. How about you tonight? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you once again for your word. Thank you for these examples of these different disciples, Lord, and the challenge that they can be to us. Thank you for your word and how you work in our hearts. In your name I pray, amen. We'll have the piano play for a few moments. You can stand.